Well, I really like watching Doug play guitar. He's, you, can, you can tell he's into it. And what I like about it is that I know his heart, he's worshiping the Lord, using his talent for God. And that's what we're called to do, is use our talents and our abilities to bring glory and honor to God. So today I'm going to be continuing the message uh, that I started off last week in Luke chapter 15. So if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, and we'll start with the 11th verse. But last week we talked about the two parables before this, that Jesus is sharing three parables that talk about God seeking the lost and God looking for those that are lost. And we have this final story that most of us have heard maybe as a child. We've heard, we've listened to this story. I remember hearing it in Sunday school uh, about the prodigal son. So I want to take a deep dive into this story and look at it and some different angles. I'm going to look at it at the father's perspective, but I want to start with the son's perspective looking at this story. And so one of the first things we want to dive into here in verse 11, let's just go ahead and read it. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, this younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so the first thing I want to speak to or share that really stands out to me in those passages is that the word squander. Um, and I think about that, how we've squandered what God has given us. And you think about the story of the father, that the father gives his younger son what he's asking for in the inheritance. And then this young person goes out into the world and, and wastes it all, just spends it on all types of different things to please himself and please the desires that he has to make himself what he thinks to make himself happy. And he loses everything that he has. And it also makes me think about what we've done, that God has given us such good gifts, given us life, and how we squander this life, how we just kind of just go do whatever we want and we don't think there's consequences. We kind of are maybe uh, just looking at our desires and we want to go to those desires and we want to fulfill the desires of our hearts and yet we squander what's been given to us. I'll tell you a little funny story. Uh, I, 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 you know, we all squander things. We buy things we don't need and there's times we buy things that we think we need but we don't really need either. Um, I bought, you know, I, I love ice cream. So uh, I went to the store one day because I was really craving some ice cream. And I went and got the, you know, five gallon or five quarts and a container of ice cream. Got home, put it in the, in the deep freezer, got it out later to have it. And uh, I realized that I made a huge, huge mistake. I, instead of buying vanilla ice cream, I had bought coconut ice cream which I will tell you is not good at all. It's all artificial. Even the little things that, think you, that are supposed to be coconut 
And I was just like so determined that I was gonna eat that ice cream, that I was gonna doctor it up, that I kept it in my freezer for about a year before I threw it away, because I hated squandering. But think about how we do that sometimes by mistake, but there's so many times we do intentional things just to toss things away because we have a desire or because we want this or we want that. And so we see in this story, this young man just squanders every good gift the father gave him. Think about yourself, how you have squandered the things that God has given you in your life. How he wanted you to be uh, able to be happy and healthy and all these things, and we just take what he has given us and we just totally destroy it. We just toss it aside like we don't care. It becomes to where we don't value it like we should. Next passage I want to look at is verse 15 in the same chapter here, and we're going to stay in Luke 15. In verse 15 it says, So then he went and hired himself out one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed uh, with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. And so here we see this, this young man come to the place where he has nothing left. He has nothing at all. He is empty. His pockets are empty. His stomach is empty. And he becomes hungry. And so we see in the story that there's a big thought here that he's, he's so hungry that he's longing after the pigs and what they eat. And have you ever seen a pig trough? It's just, it's just garbage, right? People put stuff in there, just leftovers of everything and just toss it in. And the pigs don't care. They think it's great. But for us, it's pretty disgusting, right? And that's what the imagery that God or Jesus wants to get across in this parable, that this young man is, is wanting to eat that because he's so hungry. And one of the important things for us that we need to recognize is we need to recognize the fact that there's nothing in this world, there's nothing at all in this world that is going to satisfy the hunger that God has placed inside of us. That the good gifts that God gives is what's going to satisfy in this life. And all these things that we try, all these desires that we see the world try to go after, all these things that, that we have desires of. And let me just say again, that just because you have a desire in your heart doesn't mean it's the right thing for you to do. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not the best idea, you know. Um, me being a pilot right now is probably not a good idea, right? I might have a desire to be a pilot, wake up one morning. It's not like I stayed at a Holiday Inn. I can't jump in a plane to just take off, right? Just because I have a desire doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And so many times we have desires in this life and we think that this is what we want and we realize that that's not gonna quench our hunger. That's not gonna stop us from being hungry. That there is a hunger there that only God can satisfy, only the Father could fully take care of. And so moving on, in verse, 15, or verse 17, it says this. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I, I really like the part here where in this verse where it says he, he came to a realization. He came to himself. And what, it, what it's saying here is that he, he recognizes, he's, he's thinking it through now. He's at a place that he was hungry, 
realizing that the world is not satisfying. He's not, he doesn't have any friends to bring him anything. He doesn't have any help. And he realizes how hungry he is. And he's come to this realization that what I'm doing is not good enough. What I have is not what I really wanted. My father was taking care of not only me, but all of his servants. He comes to the realization that he needs his father. And I don't know about you, but when I was at that place where I realized that the world was not supplying all of the things that I wanted it to, that I was hungry for more, that I wanted something else, that I needed something else, and I came to the realization that God was the answer, that I came to the realization that God was the one that could provide for me and take care of me, that was a place where God could actually do something in my life when I came to that realization, when I came to myself and realized who God was and what God was all about. Verse 18 and 19, it says this, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is interesting because he's preparing the speech. He's not at his father right now. He's thinking about what he's gonna say. He is diving into what he's gonna be talking about with his father. He's come to this realization and he's moving into a place of repentance. He's realizing that he had done wrong to his father. He realizes that he took what what his father gave him and being a blessing to his son and giving him all this, this wealth that he took it and just blew it all away. And this is the part where we need to be in the same area, we need to be in the same mindset, that God has blessed our life, that God has given us these amazing things that we can enjoy. And what have we done with it? What have we done with the life that God has given us? We've squandered it. And it's left us hungry. And we need to come to the realization that we need him. And when we come to that realization that we need the Father, then repentance comes. We realize, I had so much better. I need Jesus. I need God in my life. I need to stop going and pursuing these other things that I've been wasting my time with, and I need to go pursue God. Continuing on the story here, in verse 20 it says this, and he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son, and he said, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I think this is a very important thing that we really needed to take in. We really need to take this in. And I think this is is just understanding that we need to be, have this realization that we're unworthy. Too many times we think we've done enough. Too many times we think, God, I'm better than this person or I'm better than that person or I've done this with my life and I've done this and that and whatever it may be. And we feel like we're in a place that we're okay. And what we need to realize is that we're unworthy of God's love that we have betrayed God, that we have disowned God, that we have rejected God in our life, that we have mistreated God 
Because of his great love for us, we've abandoned him. We walked away from him. We just wanted him to give us things and then walk away and just use it to our advantage. We really need to get to a place that we recognize that we are unworthy of what God has done. And not in a, in a defeating way to where you're such a bad person, you're just low, but to, to understand that the pride that you have in your heart is not right. That the thought that you're somehow better is not right. That we all have sinned against God. We've all walked away at one point or another. And we have abandoned him, we've rejected him. We've turned him aside and said, God, I don't wanna, I don't wanna go your way anymore. I wanna go my own way. See, the son realizes, he comes to him and says, Father, I, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I've mistreated you so bad. I've ruined your name in the area. I've treated you with contempt. I, I have destroyed what you've started. I'm no longer to worry, be worthy to, to be called your son. See, the greatest sin of all time is pride. It's what Satan, his sin, Adam and Eve. Pride is the biggest thing because it makes us think that we somehow, or we just wanna defend ourselves and say we're good, we're okay. We deserve everything that we get. We, we, deserve, we deserve better. When we really look and take account of what we've done to God, how we've destroyed what God has done in us, how we've given ourselves away to these other things that we've desired, how we've broke the commands that God has given us to follow, and then we realize when we put it in that light, we realize I'm not, I'm not that. I'm not like Jesus. I haven't followed the Ten Commandments like I should have. There's been times where I've stole things. There's been times where I've dishonored my mother and father. There's been times where I have used God's name inappropriately. I'm unworthy. But there's hope. That's the beauty of this story. That's the beauty of this message. This beauty of this parable is that there's hope. There's hope for everyone. And then we live in this dark world that we, we feel like that, you know, our America, or we feel like the world has gone crazy, and maybe it, maybe it has in some way. But the reason why it's gone crazy is because they don't know the hope that we know. They don't know the Jesus we know. They don't know the same God that we know. And we need to be the ones to show it to them. We need to be the ones to demonstrate who God is. We need to show and reveal who God is. So I want to do this thing. So I want to go and now look through this story, too, again, and look at it from God perspective so God represents the father right and then we represent us we represent the son in the story so let's go through this story again and I may have alluded to some of these but I just want to kind of hone in on this part in verse 12 it says father give me the share of my property that is coming to me and he divided it's talking about the father and he divided his property between them do we recognize that even though we squander, God is constantly the giver in the story? That God is giving. That God has given us great things. That God is continually giving us good things. And you know what? It doesn't matter if we're right or wrong or if we're living for God or not. He's given all mankind good things. Why? Because he loves us. He's a giver. 
God continues to give. He gives us life. He gives us breath. He created this earth just right so that we could have life. And actually, if you go back, it was supposed to be perfect, right? But because of our sin, nature is crying out to God in pain as well because of our sin. But God is constantly giving us things. God is constantly the giver, not only in this story, but in constant throughout, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, God is the one giving. And yet we run away from him, we walk away, we, we, we backstab him, we mistreat him, but he constantly wants to give. In verse 14 it says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And one of the things out of this story that I think about is that you know, God the Father is in control of everything. And many times in the Old Testament, God would allow a famine to enter to the land to get people's attention. God is the provider. In other words, God is providing things to happen in this life. He'll allow people to go and do their own thing. He'll allow countries to just go and do their own way and, and spend their own way for a while. But then at some point, he'll say, enough, I'm going to get your attention. And I'll send a famine in the land to have your attention to help you understand who I am and what I'm about. And so God can provide a famine in your life a period of time where you realize and, or maybe you contemplate him and hopefully you make that decision, it's your choice, but he'll allow circumstances to happen to try to get your attention because he is a provider. He's the one looking out for your best interest. And let me say this, God is more concerned of your eternity than your comfort in this life. This life can be at times great, and sometimes it can be hard. But God's not concerned about your comfort. God's more concerned about your eternity and other people's eternity. He's more concerned about people coming to know him and relationship with him. Verse 17. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? Sustainer. You know, I think about this situation with this young man, and I, I think about the fact that, that he was on the brink of just being totally gone, right? He was on the brink of just starving to death, right? He was hungry. He was malnourished. He didn't have any friends. He didn't have any hope. And all his hope was holding on to was saying, my father I know is this. And if I go back to my father, I know I can make it right. It'll be good. He didn't know the total outcome of what was going to happen. He was expecting maybe to be a servant if his father would take him back in. But he knew that his father could sustain him. And God is a sustainer. There was a time in my life where I had a lot of anger in my heart. There was two options I thought I had, maybe three. None of them were good thoughts. Thought about ending my life was one of the options. But God sustained me. That even in those dark moments, God helped me and gave me strength. See, God still had a purpose for me. God still had a plan for my life. 
God is the sustainer. He wants to provide things for you to keep going and help you to realize where you're at. Help you to realize that you need to come back to him. Verse 20, it says this, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Wow, this is one of those parts of this story that's just, just, it's just, all, it's just amazing, right? It's just tremendous that God forgives us, that God is the forgiver in the story, that the father saw his son, and I don't know about you, but I kind of imagine it like the, the father lives on like a hillside, and so he just starts seeing his son come up the hill, maybe his head first, and he starts seeing him approaching the distance, and he's like, that's my son. And then he takes off from there. He runs to his son. He, he grabs his son. He hugs his son. He kisses his son. He is so grateful for his son being there back. Think about that with God. Think about the fact that when you're coming back to God, that is what repentance is, right? Repentance is when you're turning, you're going this direction, right? And repentance is turning and going the other direction. So he left his home, now he's coming back to his home. He's coming back to his father. Repentance. But you know when forgiveness happened in this story? When did forgiveness take place? His son, the father didn't even hear his son say anything, right? Forgiveness happened when, when, when he saw his son at a distance coming towards him. Forgiveness was already in, in the father's heart before his son even said a word. Think about that with God, that God just wants to see you approach him, and God's right there to join you. He's running towards you. That's the kind of God we serve, that he's ready to forgive. He wants to forgive, and as soon as he, he sees us approach, we don't even have to respond. I think about that when people come out of their seat and come to a, maybe an altar, or they come in their, in their place of, at their home, and they just get to that point where they're ready to make that decision. I mean, before they speak a word, God knows their heart, and he's ready to forgive. He's ready to embrace them back. Makes me think of a story that we've, many people have heard, but it just, it's a powerful story of a man on a train and he wrote his parents a letter because they had some disagreements and he left home bitterly, upset with them. They were upset with him. Him and his father exchanged some words. And on this train ride, he shares with his friend that he invited him to come because he wrote a letter to his parents to say, I wanna come back home but I don't know if it's, you're okay with that. I know I've done things that have hurt you and hurt our relationship, but I really wanna come home. If you can forgive me, please put a white blanket, pillowcase, something white in this tree. They had a cherry tree in their backyard where the train tracks would go by. So as he's riding this train, he's anticipating getting closer, but he can't bear to look, so he had his friend go along with him. And he says, can you look out the window? His friend looks out, and he says, there's not just one. The whole tree is full of white. And there's two people 
an older man and an older woman standing with a sheet that says, come home, son. Come home. That is the same imagery of God. God wants us to come home. He's ready to forgive. He is the forgiver. But we need to repent. We need to change our ways, come to him, and ask forgiveness of our sin. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and now he is found and they began to celebrate see we need to take the approach that understand that we're not really worthy that we have done things against God but God is the one that is the restorer God restores us. God brings us back to where we were lost all these things. And isn't it great? He doesn't just say, hey, you're my son again. Hey, I, I love you and thanks for coming back and, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend more time later. You can come back next week. No, he fully establishes him. He puts the signet ring on his finger. He puts the robe around him to enshrine him and he takes care of his son by celebrating the fact that he's returned. This is my son that was lost, but now is found. This is my son who was dead, but now is alive. Isn't it great to know that even though I can stand before you today and tell you I am a sinner, and even as an associate pastor here at this church, I make mistakes and I sin against God, but because of what Jesus did, I am restored to the Father because of my relationship with Jesus because I recognize I cannot earn this on my own. I am not good enough to receive the grace and the mercy. My works do not measure up, but because of what he did, I can be restored. When I stand before God, he doesn't see my ugly sins. He sees the son of Jesus Christ standing in front of me, and he sees that I'm in relationship with him. And we can be restored. We can be brought back. What an amazing story we see here. The story doesn't end. As of last week, I talked about how we are on this side of the table that, that feel we know we're lost. We know we're, we're, we are, there's something going on in the world, and we know that we're not right for the world. There's something different. And we need Jesus, right? We recognize that we need God, but we're the tax collectors. We're the people that are sinners over here. But then you had the religious establishment over here on this side that was kind of like arrogant a little bit, right? And, and as a Christian, we can kind of get that attitude, right? We can kind of start slipping over this way because, you know, like me, I've been a Christian for 31 years, so I can kind of get comfortable here and say, well, look at that world out there. Look at those sinners. Look at those people out there. On, you know, look at all of them. And I can start judging. I can start thinking about how I'm better than they are. Well, we find the story of the brother here, the older brother. We're going to read about his story for a little bit before he dismissed today. In verse 25, it says this, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked uh, what these things meant. 
And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf and because he received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entertained him. But, but he answered to his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed you. I disobeyed, disobeyed a command, yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so there's three things I wanna take away from, from this part of the story. And this is talking about us that are kind of, you know, we need, to be, we need to be excited for those that come to Christ. One is, and this is kind of the uh, breakdown I had to give my daughter. I had to have a conversation with my daughter, Isabella, because she's the oldest in the family. I was the oldest in my family. How many of you people are the, are the oldest in your family? Okay, so I want to break it down for us. You can relate to this, this situation that the oldest are kind of like the guinea pigs in the family, right? We, we as the oldest get like the trial period. We, we get experimented on, like what rules are gonna work. You know, we get a little bit more enforcement of the rules. And then as each kid comes along after us, we, the, the parents modify the rules and it's kind of gonna be a little upsetting, right? <laughs> so I had to explain this to my daughter, Isabella, because she's the oldest. And I, I just had to say, that's the, kind of the, the thing you have to bear as being the oldest. But the bigger thing is, just like my boys like to compare each other and what's fair and what do I, I didn't get this, you didn't get that, or you know, he gotta do this, I didn't get to do that, all these things. It's a trap. And one of the worst things we can do as Christians is compare ourselves with our brothers and sisters. Those that are in Christ and those that could be one day be Christians. We wanna kind of stand over our place over here and we wanna look at them and judge them and we don't have any joy in them coming to Christ. We don't have any, any heart for them in maybe their situation because you know what? Even though we may disagree with the way the world operates and the way things are in the world, you realize that most of the time it's because they don't know Christ. The, way the, people, why, the reason why people are the way they are is because they don't have a relationship with God. In the same way, a, a work environment can be toxic a lot of times. Hopefully, hopefully the Christians in that work environment are setting the good example, but, but a lot of times if people have no hope, they can just complain all the time because they don't really have a hope to live for because they haven't found Jesus. And why are atheists so angry all the time? Most of the time it's because they're angry with God. They don't want to believe in him, but they're still angry with him. They blame him. Why do we want to continue to compare ourselves with everybody? And look at what they have, look at what I got, look at this, you know. We need to focus on our relationship with God ourselves. We need to stop comparing. The next thing is 
celebrate with those that come to Christ. We, we should celebrate. I mean, great to see a baptism today. Great to see people giving their life to Christ to say, hey, I want to walk with Jesus. God's really been putting on a, a conviction in my heart. I want to see that more. I want to see that happen more often. I want to see people come to Christ. I want to see us rise up a generation that will go up and proclaim Jesus to the world. Last thing is, is real joy is being with the Father. What does the Father say to his son? You always, you've always been with me. Isn't that what really matters? What really matters is our relationship with God. It's not about what we have or we don't have. It's not about what we want and we don't want. It's about our relationship with God. It's about having a relationship with God. One of the things I think about is my grandma, and, and she never had a lot. She took care of a lot of people. There was a lot of kids that went through her home that got to hear about Jesus. All she wanted was her relationship with God. What matters most is our relationship with God, our relationship with the Father. That's the real joy in life. No matter what trials you may face in life, no matter good times and bad times, it doesn't matter if you have nice things or you don't have nice things. What matters is you are in relationship with God. That's where real joy can happen. That's where real peace can happen in your life. As we close, I just want to just help us to kind of think through this again. That God is the giver. He's the provider. He's the sustainer. He's the forgiver, and he is the only one that can restore us through his son, Jesus. And he loves us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity. And I just ask you to just help each one of us to look at this story, look and see where we fit in the story as that young man who squandered what he had, who was not being fulfilled by the world, who had no friends, who had no one around him to help him. He recognized, he came to himself, he realized that you were the one that was gonna be able to sustain him and continue to provide for him. And Lord, he recognized that he needed to for, ask for forgiveness he needed to repent. He needed to change his ways. And Lord, he recognized the fact that he was unworthy. And Lord, help us to do that too. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here listening or watching or wherever they may be, Lord, that they would put their faith and trust in you. Lord, we see three stories in Luke chapter 15 that speak of your love for us, your pursuit of us that you long for us. And Lord, it doesn't matter where they've been or where we've been or what we've done. We are all sinners. But it is by your love and by your grace, your mercy, that you have been able to wash us clean and restore us as your sons and daughters that you've created. And so Lord, just be with us and help us, Lord, to continue to recognize our failures and bring them before you 
releasing our pride and calling upon you as Lord and Savior. In your wonderful name I pray, Jesus, amen.